Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the innovators and entrepreneurs building the future of health. I'm India Edwards. This week on the podcast, we're bringing you a conversation with Dr. David Rue, the Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Healthcare at Microsoft. In this interactive session, Dr. Rue broke down Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare and explained how the broader suite of Microsoft tools, from natural language processing to using Teams for telehealth, can help healthcare startups scale more quickly. Bottom line, if a startup wants to move quickly, don't reinvent the wheel. The infrastructure you need might already exist in the marketplace. Finally, we learned specifics on how startups can partner with Microsoft directly. Hope you enjoy. My name is Logan Plaster. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by our special guest, Dr. David Rue, the Chief Medical Officer and VP of Healthcare at Microsoft. David previously worked as the CMO at Samsung, and for years, he's been deeply involved in national organizations dedicated to improving uh, medical technology and health data interoperability. He co-holds six U.S. patents related to electronic health records, and he's an adjunct professor at Stanford. Dr. Rue, it is our pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Logan. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's just start by getting to know you a little bit better. You studied infectious disease, you're a practicing physician, then you made a career for yourself, a unique career for yourself in healthcare strategy at big tech. So tell us a little bit about that journey and kind of why you made that move. Well, I can tell you it wasn't by design. A large part of my interest was studying how variation in care uh, was resulting in particular outcomes, whether it was worsened care, higher cost, uh, decreased access to care. And it struck me as strange how within a hospital you could have such huge variations. And then when we started looking at it, there was significant variation between hospital and hospital. And ultimately trying to understand about why organizations weren't following evidence-based guidelines led us down this path of uh, what is now known as clinical decision support. But back then it was really more around evidence-based guidelines. And I did a lot of studies. In fact, a lot of my early career was around research, just trying to show that providing the right information at the right time can be, be influential in terms of decision-making. It can be useful in terms of improving health outcomes and reducing costs. And to automate that or to make that process more scalable, we had to create technologies that were more digital. And those digital technologies ultimately became a product, which became a company. And then that company was eventually acquired by Cerner, which threw me into the whole realm of health IT. So, so you've been in the shoes of some of the folks on this call as a health tech founder. What, what were some of the, the lessons you made? I will, maybe some of the mistakes you made, some of the things that you, uh, looking back, were, were big lessons learned from that time as a founder. Well, one of the strange things uh, that I think in retrospect was something that was a bit fortunate was that we came in with the idea that organizations would want to improve quality of care and they would pay for that. Well, wanting to do something and paying for it are two separate issues. <laughs> and uh, Ultimately, we found that uh, the reason why people bought our solution was because of something that was an unexpected byproduct of creating an order set and a plan of care in an electronic health record, which is that saved the clinician 95 to 97% of the time entering orders. And clinician dissatisfaction with the EHR was one of the major reasons why EHRs were not being implemented. So this became the tip of the spear for all EHR implementations, developing evidence-based order sets and plans of care that could be implemented in the EHR so you could go with the go live. And, and so that was kind of the strange thing because we didn't anticipate it. It was really the right product at the right time, but the reason why it got adopted. And I think the key lesson is that focusing on efficiency, uh, ways to make things more cost efficient, more time efficient, oftentimes uh, leads to the purchase decision. Interesting. So part of your story is that, you know, you've served as the CMO at multiple tech companies, you know, and something that I like to ask to, uh, you know, physicians, trained physicians is about the role of the physician voice in a, a health tech company, because maybe it's, it seems obvious, but it's, it's not always, uh, it's not always the leading voice. And so I, I wonder if you could comment on the importance for health 
tech companies to have a strong physician voice in their strategy. Um, I don't know. Another way to think about this is sort of, you know, what do non-physician health tech folks miss about healthcare if they don't have that voice? Yeah, and I would extend that to clinicians. Uh, really, any type of healthcare provider has a unique perspective, and that is that they've seen patients. They know the issues that surround taking care of patients, not just from a patient and a clinician perspective, but just the workflows. A lot of care today is based on workflow. And if you don't understand the workflow and you don't understand what's working well, what's not working well, and then the disruptions that your technology or innovation is going to create, that's a huge issue because largely decisions are made based on how it impacts and improves clinical workflow. And so I would say that's probably one of the first important things, but it's also understanding just where healthcare is going. A lot of times you need to know and not just what the current challenges are from what you've seen, but you, you have an idea of where the, the industry is going and some of the things that need to be done to make it better. Just to get really uh, practical, do you think that that means for a startup that it's important to have a clinician as a part of a founding team, an early advisor, at some point have an advisor? It's sort of how soon and how important is it for a startup? Yeah, I'd say, you know, startup, medium-sized, large company, every, every organization needs to have that perspective of the voice of the customer and knowing those pain points. And largely what I found is that uh, it's, it's useful if the person is part of the organization, but at a minimum, there should be some type of a ongoing advisory role. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'm sure uh, folks on this call are curious about Microsoft's trajectory in healthcare. So I kind of want you to pull back the curtain for us a little bit. We'll get into specific tools next, but I'm thinking more high-level strategy right now. Uh, can you just help us understand Microsoft's vision for healthcare in 2021, some of the moves it wants to make in the upcoming year? Well, I'm going to start seven years ago when Microsoft hired Satya Nadella to be the CEO, and that changed the culture and the mission. Our mission used to be about technology first, putting a laptop or a computer on every desktop. Well, that is not exactly the way healthcare functions. Healthcare is more about patients and providers and understanding you know, how we can make their lives better. And when you change the paradigm around, what you find is that your entire business processes will change. So at Microsoft, our mission changed to empowering every individual, every organization around the world to be able to achieve more and to be able to accomplish those goals that they thought never were possible. So technology is now an enabler as opposed to it being the star of the show. And I think that's a large part of what we've been doing over the past several years is building the technology that supports healthcare. And to do that, what we realized is that we do have some great tools but they're not healthcare specific, or I should say they weren't at one point. But what we did is we made them HIPAA compliant. We enabled data interoperability so that data could flow through the different systems so that if you work in Azure or modern workplace in Teams or Dynamics or Power Platform, now the data can flow. And now you've got a whole array of different tools that can be used to help better support your, your industry. And in healthcare, it's not just about one aspect. I think a lot of times people think, you know, maybe for cloud computing, it's about storage and compute. Well, that's a big part of it. But once that information is brought in, it has to be acted on. And so now you get into this whole issue around, well, does it integrate with the electronic health record? What's the clinical workflow? Do you have tools like Teams where people can collaborate? Do you have storage places like SharePoint that allows you to be able to tap into different sources? Is it using specific industry standards? And I think that now we're realizing that the reason why healthcare is complicated because it's not just a one size fits all. It's there's a element here of integration into clinical workflows, existing systems, but then building off of that with tools that can be scalable and interoperable and secure. So you stretch back seven years thinking about Microsoft's current healthcare strategy. Uh, how did COVID? Um, how did COVID change or shift that strategy, if at all? Yeah. So I was with Microsoft for about a year. Then COVID hit. And you know, as you can imagine, as with everyone, we were sort of down this path of developing our technologies. And then when COVID hit, everyone's interest, and, and we're not talking just in healthcare, but across the globe, uh, shifted to how do we address the ongoing needs? You know, first and foremost, get information about, do I have the infection? Do I need to be seen by a doctor? 
that type of triage was something that current systems were not well handled to, to basically do. And one of the first things we did was a pivot towards use of the healthcare bot, uh, chatbot functionality to make it something that could be used by anyone to answer questions. Now that give, gave us an incredible insight because once we started using that, we customized it and we actually deployed it with the CDC. And in fact, if you go to the CDC website, you'll see that the chatbot is a Microsoft chatbot that's derived around answering questions. But it also allowed for a digital handoff to telehealth, which was also a, uh, an emerging you know, trend and an important part of digital, uh, where we saw that that was something that needed to be done and facilitated through that chatbot. And then we realized that, boy, in that same encounter, we might be able to help individuals enroll into clinical trials or perhaps you know, uh, at the time, plasma donation was a consideration. So just understanding where an individual is and their questions and concerns is an opportunity for us to be able to start helping them to the next step along the journey. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, that helps us sort of at the uh, 30,000 foot level, understand the strategy and kind of where you're thinking. Uh, I wanna uh, switch now and talk a bit about uh, tech tools. We can't really talk about Microsoft with really, without talking about the tech infrastructure uh, that you've built and how startups can use it and how you sort of uh, have a vision for startups using it. Um, instead of me jumping into a question, I'm gonna jump to the chat because uh, Mehmet Kazgan from Kliexa uh, is asking the same thing I had in mind. So uh, Mehmet, why don't you jump, uh, take, come off mute and go ahead and ask your question, explain what you do and go from there. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me the chance, Logan. And thanks, uh, David, for being here. Um, at Kliexa, we're building an end-to-end -end, um, multi-comorbidity disease management tools, both EMR and device agnostic. That's what we do, David, um, uh, in a nutshell. So my question is a little bit like uh, elaborating on Logan's like main high level strategy question as vendors also to your point, we're trying to find the best strategy to come up uh, with, with a product uh, that we think we can solve the problem. But to your point, uh, it's not always the case that they will pay for it. And the way that you really get to the point is like really making the product quickly available avoiding all the conversations to deploy, implement, create the interoperability of being there yourself. So what we're trying to do in that angle uh, with that setup, uh, we provided a solution that can interoperate with seven, eight different EMRs today. And Microsoft Azure Health would come up with this Transact platform that we wanted to kind of follow the same route to partner with Microsoft. Um, in fact, we're one of the early um, adopters from that platform available. Now, my question is, um, from your perspective, as where Microsoft is going, um, it's kind of like a, it may, maybe a suggestion from your side. Are we on the same path or, or the direct route that we're tr truly doing this? Is instead of coming up with our platform, try to build within the Microsoft Azure infrastructure, is that a, a better and faster path to health systems to really quickly enable the solution and get the okay and we'll pay for it kind of? Um, result quicker, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, Mehmet, so it's a great question. I, I think that one of the things that we've seen with startups, tremendous innovation, a lot of ideas uh, that and, and, and problems that need to be solved. Uh, where we see the challenges are oftentimes in how this the, the information gets deployed in a clinical setting. And what we've, we've realized is that, you know, there is a great advantage to partnering with a larger company. So for instance, if we wanted to look at Microsoft as an example, uh, one of the things that Microsoft has done is we've realized that we can help startups in the context of taking away some of the things that they spend a lot of their time doing. I mean, you have very limited resources, right? You, you, but you're trying to solve the entire end-to-end -end solution. So I see startups oftentimes worrying about, oh, we've got to focus on the security. There has been a, a latest you know, aspect in terms of creating the security passion uh, now, fire. There's a new standard uh, coming out called Fire. Um, how have we built that? And boy, you know, and and every time they start looking, they get distracted from their core competency, their their skill set, which is perhaps building an AI algorithm or perhaps doing some other aspect of collaboration. And so, where it's a good idea to start thinking about if we could find a platform that gives us more than just I'll say storage and compute. And, and allows us to, at later points, be able to take advantage of some of the features and functions that this organization is building, 
we can offload some of those key responsibilities later on. And I think that's probably one of the key lessons that I'd say is something that would be very helpful for startups. And then once you actually get into startup programs, and I know several companies do, but you know, Microsoft certainly does, uh, we try to help you with credits and we, we open up doors um, because in large part, what we're trying to do is we're trying to ensure that the companies that have decided to work with us are successful. And so I think there's a couple of different ways from a technology and resource standpoint, but also from a business standpoint. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Um, uh, David, I want to just dig into that even further. You sort of give, gave an overview of some of the tools, uh, data storage, uh, fire standards, and I want to just sort of break down some of them and talk about the tech, tech infrastructure that, um, that startups can take advantage of. Kind of breaking down, what do you think they should be thinking about offloading uh, versus doing themselves? What are the things you, they shouldn't be reinventing the wheel on? Um, that, that you're working on. So I don't know, we could start with Microsoft Cloud for healthcare uh, and sort of build from there. Yeah, so to give you an idea what Microsoft Cloud for healthcare, it sounds like it's just a branding exercise, but the reality is what we realized is there's three aspects to improving health outcomes. There's a data ingest piece where you have to bring in different data sets from different sources. So data could come from electronic health records, you know, patient, that, that's clearly one of the major sources. And there could, you know, and clearly there's uh, other sources that are standardized sets like uh, claims data sets. But then as we start thinking about different, I guess, other areas, you know, devices are another area, internet of medical things and all the different types of uh, wearables that people may have. We may find that social determinants of health are another, you know, people say that your zip code is actually a greater determinant of your outcome. So as we think about, how these different data sets come in, Microsoft has a whole suite of APIs to be able to pull these different data sets in. So again, not having or not relying on the organizations to build those APIs and the servers, but just basically relying on certain things that are more out of the box. Now, once you actually start thinking about how the data thing gets ingested and or normalized and analyzed, you'll say, wow, I need to apply some AI on top of that. So there'd be some proprietary algorithms that are built. But some of those are things that could be highly benefit, a huge benefit if they were incorporated with, let's say, free text. So, you know, free text is a huge source of untapped information. Now, what's a, or, a lot of organizations I see is they start building NLP engines to start focusing on, you know, text analysis or visual analytics or voice. Well, what if those are available? And they are. And so that's another area where Microsoft, we spend a significant amount of time developing these tools so that startups and other companies can take full advantage of them. And you may have heard about the recent announcement uh, with Nuance. Uh, I mean, that's just a reflection of our deep investment into natural language processing. And then the third is just around pushing that out to tools that people will use every day. Uh, and those could be on your mobile phone. So how do you build an app? We have power apps that can build, you can rapidly build, you know, uh, low code, no code type of ways that you can build certain types of applications. If you want to surface this up during the pandemic, you know, no, no one was reinventing the wheel. Everyone was trying to leverage what was out there. A lot of it was Power BI, just great, fantastic resources to be able to showcase how this is and teams for telehealth. So again, just a whole array of different tools, all interconnected, fire enabled, made available to our partners and to anyone that wants to use them. And it's something that's now interconnected with EHRs, connected with the different systems. So again, that's just like one example of how you can leverage the full range of different tools that Microsoft offers. And that, that's just something that I think startups need to start thinking about that, you know, let's not just focus on getting, you know, a single purpose uh, partner, but a partner that can do a lot of different things. You know, beyond Microsoft, it can feel these days like, uh, the, the tech options, this platform options, are it's drinking from a fire hose. There are just so many things out there being developed that someone can take advantage of. You just named a whole raft of things that Microsoft's doing and said, don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, and yet your standard founder is, you know, dealing with, with daily fires and, you know, doesn't necessarily have the bandwidth to research what, you know, what Microsoft or somebody else is doing to know that, you know, there's a better platform that's been developed it can be hard to know that the tools are even out there. So do you have recommendations or strategies for founders for just knowing what's available, knowing what they shouldn't reinvent? 
Yeah, and, and I think this is a, a great point because I think most organizations, most founders uh, just immediately look for the, for the immediate fix. I need to find a place to put my data. So they look for you know, a, a cloud storage place um, and they, their decision might be on-prem versus cloud. You know, th these are all decisions that down the road have implications of their ability to be able to build and become much more nimble uh, and to scale. Uh, you know, as you think about the different types of cloud vendors and different opportunities, you, you know, I've mentioned, you know, this is an area that we've spent a significant amount of time looking at. And it's also the philosophy. You know, if you think about who you want to partner with, Microsoft, our philosophy is we don't own the data. We don't monetize it. You know, essentially the data is yours. Uh, we, we try to enable, we try to support, we don't compete. Uh, and I think that's something that's important to realize that, you know, if you're looking for a company that wants to you want to be with uh, not just for the next few years, but perhaps you know as you think beyond you know the next few years into perhaps um, to the IPO. <laughs> um, this is the time of uh, where I think a company like Microsoft allows you to be able to scale. So depending on your need, um, you know we're we're an organization that is designed around companies, small, medium, and large. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned the word uh, partnering multiple times, and I might think of working with Microsoft as more of a commercial relationship, a vendor relationship, but you, you, you really have been framing it around the, the idea of partnership. So I want to talk about what that looks like for a startup, um, but I want to call on uh, Yair Saperstein from AvoMD. He's got uh, a question that will be good to kind of kick off this topic. Hey there, uh, Yair Saperstein from AvoMD. And uh, AvoMD is a company that allows for a no-code solution for hospitals and urgent cares to be able to take their evidence-based medicine and turn it into clinical decision support. Um, and the question that I have really is, can you speak more uh, specifically about these partnerships with uh, Microsoft and how that would work um, for uh, you know companies like us that want to take this overview that you have and really take it to the next level in making this partnership? Yeah, so Microsoft has a, a group called Microsoft for Startups, <laughs> and we have a healthcare lead. Um, I can I can um, you know feel free to uh, email me or, or text me afterwards. Uh, you know david.rue at microsoft.com. And um, I can connect you to them. Uh, it's probably available on the website as well. Uh, but we support startups. And there's obviously companies in different stages. So depending on where you are, we may have a different group that, that works with you. And we, our goal is to find ways that we can accelerate your growth. A uh, large part of that is understanding what your needs are, finding ways that we can incentivize uh, further growth in, in some of the areas that we are build, building together. Uh, so for instance, Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare is a big push for us. Um, we, we are looking for partners uh, to further build use cases on top of it. You know, we, when you build a platform, the value is in working with companies uh, like yours to be able to build on top of that and to continue to enhance the value. And so for us, uh, we want to encourage and we want to incentivize. Thanks for the question, Yair. So we will get the contact information for the lead for Microsoft for Startups. We'll make sure we share that, right, David? Absolutely. I'll, I'll, we'll do that off the call. It's great to hear that that is uh, an avenue. You mentioned building on um, a cloud for healthcare as being you know, one thing that you would look for. Other areas of focus that Microsoft for Startups is looking for, uh, other aspects of the business that if you're building on would make you a good partner? Yeah, it really depends on what your business is. Uh, there are some, I'd say most are looking, you know, create solutions, uh, but there are some startups that are more infrastructure based. And in that case, you know, uh, we would look to figure out ways to plug you into specific uh, partnerships or activities where we think that your, your um, attributes or your, your technologies can be very helpful. Uh, and, and so it's exposure, exposure to try to understand where your, your technology best fits. Uh, we, we, within the Microsoft healthcare space, cover a broad range of different, I'll say, sectors. Hospitals, health systems, provider is one, payer is another, life sciences is another, med tech is another, and retail. And so all of those are pretty broad areas. And a lot of times we find that startups just don't have the bandwidth to be able to start 
looking to secure partnerships. Uh, and it could be with very large organizations or it could be with some smaller or medium-sized ones. But we have relationships across the globe uh, pre with pretty much every enterprise company. And I'd say in most cases, um, they are eager to find ways to continue to build off of their existing investments into the platforms that we're building with them. Gotcha. Thinking even broader than the specific tech stacks that Microsoft is focusing on, uh, just given your vantage point, where are you seeing the biggest opportunities in, in health tech today? Well, I think if you look at the merging trends, that's a good starting point. Uh, one of the biggest trends we, we see today is around consumerism. You know, this focus on the consumer, the end user, be, whether it be the patient slash consumer, uh, changing the user experience so it's more seamless. That also ties directly into the user experience for providers. We know clinician burnout's a huge area. So I think that that's something that clearly represents a big opportunity. Uh, as we think about expanding care across the care continuum, and we start thinking about virtual care and how AI and virtual care can be combined. Uh, you know, we started with telehealth. I think that's, that's a tremendous starting point. Remote monitoring, also a very important point. But where we're moving towards is actually around how all these different data sets can be brought together and we can be much more predictive in terms of our actions. So, you know, I'd say that that's an emerging area. Another area is uh, one that I think we see every day in the news and it's around health equity. You know, as we think about understanding the challenges that we have today in terms of providing care to the underserved, a large part of what everyone's trying to do is they're trying to provide a care that is equitably distributed, but in that in many cases, we need to start focusing on underlying infrastructure, whether it be broadband access or affordable broadband access, education, digital training, and then also, of course, just being able to provide uh, the services that people need the most. Uh, and these are some basic services being brought to communities that are underserved. So I think, you know, large part, big trends represent opportunities for organizations, whether they be small, medium, or large. Are, are those trends things that you see Microsoft uh, directing their attention at in the future? I'm just curious about kind of where um, fighting health inequities sort of fits into the Microsoft vision and some of the things that get you excited uh, along those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I love Microsoft is we actually try to address all of those, the, the big ticket items. And, and I'll just give you some examples. As I think about health equity, one of the challenges today we face uh, relates to just vaccinations, you know, and providing vaccinations in an equitable manner across the globe. Uh, and what we found also is that even within the United States, uh, the ability for us to be able to ensure that the most vulnerable and those in underserved areas are getting the vaccines. Now, it's not just about access. It actually is now about the conversations that you need to have with the individuals to address their concerns. And that has to be married into the process. So what we've been doing is we've been building public-private partnerships uh, that leverage our existing relationships and new relationships that we've forged with public health, healthcare, and local entities. And those are the entities that need to be talking together. And the data needs to flow between those. So we're building some of the infrastructure that supports data flow between communities and public health and hospitals and health systems. I wonder if you could break down that, that public-private um, strategy a little bit more. And I wonder if there's some learnings there for startups in terms of how they collaborate and who they collaborate with. Well, I think one of the things we oftentimes do is we default back to hospitals and health systems as the primary uh, driver for a lot of the innovations. And, and maybe we'll look at payers as the, the organization that will pay uh, or, or maybe it's a life science company that will pay. But what we're oftentimes finding is that the areas where there's significant amount of investment are in areas that we may not have been looking at. Uh, the public sector right now, there's a significant amount of investment being made to rebuild that. That's an opportunity for startups to start looking at how they can help rebuild those uh, and, and address the ongoing challenges. Uh, you know, Just recently, we were involved in vaccination events across the country, uh, there, there aren't significant tools today for community health workers to be able to uh, run these events. And so we've been trying to you know, build these on the fly, but another opportunity for startups to be able to inter, in, in, you know, intervene. So I think um, sometimes opportunities lie in places you don't expect them because 
there's not money there today, but with investments, there will be. I think that's, I think that's good advice. Um, David, I want to switch gears a minute and talk a bit about global health, because I know that's a, a passion of yours. I understand you've been involved with the WHO um, with their COVID efforts. And so tell me a little bit more about that work, uh, what you're doing with the WHO, what, you, what Microsoft did do, um, because I think it really aligns beautifully with Startup Health's Health Moonshot uh, thesis. When the pandemic started, we were uh, in active discussions already with the WHO in terms of revitalizing or, or um, refortifying their platform. It really wasn't even refortifying. It was just building their platform. <laughs> they, they didn't have anything. Uh, it was largely spreadsheets and just uh, a bunch of um, pieces of paper across the globe. And they needed a central place, a data lake for us to be stored. And the data lake had to be structured in ways that it could communicate with the different countries and the different people in the different areas. And what we uh, did was we accelerated that by co-investing with them into this. And we essentially built their, it's called a single uh, data repository, uh, which is responsible for managing all their processes. Uh, it is now gonna be a core part of their 3 billion effort. 3 billion is essentially 1 billion individuals for whom there'll be new uh, access to care provided another billion for whom uh, medical emergencies can be better managed, uh, including COVID uh, and other types of infectious outbreaks down the road. And then another in terms of managing chronic disease. And so as we've been looking at this, this is something that the WHO has had on their wish list for quite some time. Uh, COVID was the opportunity for us to all lean in and, and build that with them. And we've been excited to be a part of their ongoing efforts to continue to refine this and and look at ways that we can uh, work with them and other organizations to be able to uh, integrate this into other existing processes globally. Given that experience and your, your vantage point, I wonder if you could speak to kind of the new opportunities that exist uh, for healthcare startups to expand globally, to think globally, to uh, think about what they're building and how it uh, really could reverberate in, in other continents. I think most people know that, you know, having a global reach is, is fantastic, but is also daunting because every country uh, and even regions within country have rules. <laughs> they have rules around where data resides, governance. Just look at GDPR as, as like one example. Uh, you know, we, we find is that even within the US, there's just so many aspects of, of care that need to be addressed. Everything from how the data gets managed to uh, FDA, to reimbursement rules, which then go not at only, only at the federal, but state. And then of course you've got uh, commercial payers. Uh, I mean, just, it gets very complicated when you start looking at how to put it all together. So I would say uh, find one area that you can start, get it right, uh, and then start thinking about how you can scale to other regions or other parts that are maybe not a huge step away, but similar uh, but then at, once you've gotten to the point where you've got enough infrastructure in place, then start thinking about how you can scale it to other places. But yeah, global is always the, the ultimate goal, but probably not step one. Yeah. And that's a good segue to a question from Mehmet from Kliexa in the chat. Why don't you come off mute and you can uh, ask about HIPAA compliance. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Logan. And David, again, uh, one thing I'm going to quickly mention here. First of all, we are one of the early adopters of Microsoft Biz Spark uh, program, and we graduated and we benefited amazing the first three years, front end, back end. So I want to thank you all for the opportunity. And then we actually got accepted to a second program uh, recently. So um, I just want to mention that to the other teams, if they want to benefit, happy to inform others. Um, for a similar, you, but Microsoft has, has great opportunities for that. Now, the question actually, um, Logan started and you kind of um, elaborated a little bit is, is the challenge of like communicating like um, data exchange, patient data exchange in between uh, countries. And you said that uh, you already know this. It's a big challenge for especially health tourism is happening all over the world. That's kind of one thing and vaccination data is another thing. Um, we, have, we have started in two different angles. One is um, kind of offering clinical trial methodologies all around the world, collect data for rare diseases for academic and research. Um, there are some initiatives from pharma as well 
But the second is also enabling patient data, um, like from a country they're visiting um, or where they're from and they're going to an emergency room and they can share the data. Obviously the issue is every country, like you said, have, have their own um, HIPAA rules per se, right? The, the data information of they can, they can do it. Microsoft actually started to do some solutions about enabling Microsoft Edge, um, some data in the premises. The, the reason I'm asking is uh, to kind of strategize our approach to it uh, for the vendors. Uh, if you have any strategy that you can recommend or suggest us, if we were to de deploy a solution within, within that kind of norm, uh, what do you think is the best approach to it? Should we really build something for each country and build uh, with other different platforms like Microsoft Azure Health or different Transact platform? Or uh, what is the best approach you can give if you have any from that perspective? It's more understanding the global data exchange recommendation from someone like you. I, I, I'm sure you have some insight. Yeah, and this is a great example of where it probably doesn't make sense for a startup to be able to tackle this daunting challenge by you know oneself uh, it is where partnerships with larger companies that have the global reach and also the leverage uh, would be very helpful this is an area that microsoft spends a large amount of its time thinking about how do we improve data exchange between different organizations within different regions within different countries a big area for, for us within healthcare has been around fire uh, as most of you are probably well aware this is a standard that's uh, been widely adopted within the US uh, and with EHR vendors. But we're also trying to push this outside of the US and it's been significantly uh, helpful uh, that we have now, a, I guess, a, a common cause. Um, if you think about vaccinations and credentials, today, you know, anyone can create their standard, but what we've been actively working with with the EHR vendors and a whole coalition is around using Smart on Fire so that this data, your vaccination record, as well as your test results can be stored on your phone and in the cloud, but it's now leveraging fire as the standard. And then on top of that, as we think about where it can go, it allows you to be able to pull in other sources of your health record. So now what we're looking at is a new model. If we can get this type of standard to be more widely adopted by other countries, and by the way, it is being used in other countries, uh, that is something then consumers end up becoming their own HIE, where they can actually take the information and move it and allow for interoperability between different systems. I think one thing that does uh, work in our favor is that large uh, EHR companies like Epic and Cerner and Meditech and a variety of others that are based here in the US are also global. So when, he, when you go and work with these organizations, they follow the same standards. So we have a starting point to work with, uh, but the goal is that we have to standardize on some of these key uh, um, ways that we can communicate healthcare information. And that's something that is gonna require a coalition of support. Appreciate your question, Mehmet. Uh, David, you, you talked a little bit there, you sort of touched on the idea of using, um, you know, fire standards and security to do vaccine verification. I know that's, that's something that Microsoft has been working on. It's something that's front of mind for a lot of folks. So I wonder if you could speak to just describing some of that work around vaccine verification, where you see that going, um, and I don't know, what, what are some of the important uh, thought points around that process? So I'll, I'll give you a little background. First off, the standard itself, uh, the Smart on Fire standard is called uh, the Smart Health Card Framework, was developed by Josh Mandel, who's the chief health architect at Microsoft, uh, used to be at the, at the Boston Medical Center or Brigham, and uh, ultimately has been a key driver for how we start looking at this standard way of capturing information using Smart on Fire. Now, the initial work was all based on standards, but when we started getting to the point of making this more practical where consumers and patients could gain access to it, then we realized that there were three aspects to it. There's the issuance of the actual certificate, there's the holding of the information, and it's oftentimes a digital holding, and then there's the verification piece. And so uh, what we realized was that Microsoft was not interested in the middle piece of holding. We, you know, we, 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 we know that there, we've gone through this before, you know, having a, a patient uh, health record and a digital wallet. Other organizations are interested in doing that. You know, Apple Health Kit has that, there's a variety of others, but that was one area that we would just allow um, the industry to decide where they want to hold it. And 
where we felt we could potentially help was in encouraging the issuance of the smart on fire standard. So right now it can be issued from state immunization registries. It could be issued from EHRs. So Epic and Cerner are now following the smart on fire standards as well as Meditech. And then Microsoft has, has its own vaccination management system. And so we're actively looking to try to incorporate these type of standards. And then there's the reading of this, you know, the, the verification. And that's essentially looking at whether or not these uh, systems have been, uh, the certificates have been authorized by a verified uh, um, entity. And so, you know, the, there's uh, a lot of systems out there, like Common Pass would be a great example, uh, Clear is another example. And so, what we're now realizing is that it requires a coordination of these different players and partners. Uh, we are part or active, one of the core members of a group called VCI. And uh, VCI was originally called the Vaccination Credential Initiative. It's now around verifications. Um, and it ultimately goes beyond vaccinations, includes uh, other parts of your medical record. But our role has really been around standards. It's been around promoting the use of fire. It's about improving interoperability and encouraging and supporting organizations that are trying to build towards those. Now, a lot of that has to do with, you know, regulatory changes that have taken place that, that are now making it advantageous to do um, information exchange. And I know you've been active in some of those regulatory processes or advocating for certain things. Um, and I wonder, uh, what do you feel like are the next big re regulatory shifts that folks in this call should be thinking about, preparing for, um, uh, that might be coming down the road, I don't know, in 2022? Well, I was involved in some of the early work with the FDA on their FDA pre-cert program. And that was a program that I think has created a huge opportunity for us to start thinking about how digital technologies will be deployed. If you think about what's happened since the uh, initiation of that program, you have now companies like Apple that have taken a consumer product and then allowed for software to be classified as a medical device and be placed on top of that Apple Watch. Now, interestingly enough, the Apple Watch is not an FDA clear device. It's the software on top of it that is. So this separation of software as a medical device on top of consumer device hardware is actually now a major trend and opportunity. But the challenge what we're starting to see is how do you keep those algorithms current and updated? And so this new era of AI and looking at how AI algorithms can be uh, treated as software as a medical device. And then how do we then capture data, you know, post-market or release, and then bring that data into the evaluation to determine if these algorithms are working as designed for the populations that they're being applied in. So AI in the context of software as a medical device, another huge opportunity. And this is an area where right now the FDA and other regulatory bodies are still trying to figure it out because there's a lot of moving parts. Technology is advancing very quickly. You know, our, our capabilities are, are, are much greater than they used to be before. And we're starting to see a greater rise of consumerism where consumers expect and want this type of technology on their devices. And as we start seeing solutions being built that allow us to be able to tap into all of this, we have to work together. And that's why the FDA oftentimes convenes and works directly with industry to be able to better understand how we can uh, how they can build standards or apply standards that will allow us to be able to find that right balance between safety and nimbleness. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in the name of moving from sort of more global, more strategic to as specific and practical as we can, David, I want to throw you a, a curveball and say that if you had to quit your job today and someone gave you the funds to start a health tech startup tomorrow and you had to start a company, um, I want to know what area you'd want to start it in, what technology you would use uh, to make the most of what you think is the greatest uh, business opportunity in the market today. Yeah, you know, again, I may not be the best example because I, I go where my heart is. Uh, I see so much suffering today due to COVID, uh, and I, I would want to find some way to address that suffering. I'm a firm believer that a lot of times when you build the solutions that people want and need, that the business models will come about. Now you have to be smart about it. You can't, you know, you can't assume that it'll always happen. But you know, I would rather try to solve an acute 
very painful need uh, and, and then find, find whether or not the business models will meet that. So that would be the area I'd focus on. I'd, I'd focus on trying to address the ongoing challenges of the pandemic. What's the element of the Microsoft tech stack that you would be most excited to utilize as part of your tool? Well, right now there's a starting point. We do in a large part of our ability to intervene with vaccinations. We can stand up vaccination clinics uh, anywhere in a parking lot, in a church. Uh, it's through a, pro it's a program that we've developed called the Microsoft Vaccination Management System. Mm. It allows for registration, scheduling, data to be captured securely, brought into immunization registries, EHRs. We've added the capabilities to do childhood and adult immunizations on top of that. Um, I think that that's an opportunity for that type of technology to be deployed in underserved areas and become a foundational piece for how we deliver community care uh, to the underserved. So I, I feel like that's a huge opportunity right now. There are so many individuals that don't receive the care that they need to, and uh, we have technologies that will allow us to be able to do that. I love it. We are getting towards the top of the hour. If anyone has a final question, we have time for one more. Also, this is a chance that if you'd like to share a sort of a greatest insight from what you've heard, you can drop that into the chat as well. And I can call on you. You can sort of reflect back something that you've heard uh, that you want to take with you. Uh, Dr. Rue, this is your chance to um, kind of give some parting wisdom to the folks in this call. Uh, there's a few dozen founders here and, and many more will listen to this uh, on YouTube. And, you know, this is your chance to sort of look back over your experience and the startups you've worked with and say, uh, September 2021, what are some of the core pieces of wisdom and strategy that you wish everyone on this call would know? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, there have been so many lessons learned, but one that resonates very strongly with me is the need to constantly innovate and stay one step ahead of the game. Uh, what we oftentimes find is that we will find a solution for something. And by the time we start getting it out there to the market, the market shifted. And our solution for a variety of reasons is not quite exactly what the industry was asking for. So to be nimble, to be able to adjust, to be able to make sure that you're always looking ahead you know, similar to what Wayne Gretzky said, said, you know, skate to where the puck's going, not to where it's at. And I think that that's largely what I have taken away, you know, trying to stay one step ahead, understand where the regulations are going, where the industry's going, and also make sure that your technology does what it's supposed to do. What are your strategies for staying nimble and staying one step ahead? I mean, what, what do you read? How do you, how do you stay um, ready? Well, I think a large part of it is just, like conversations that I have with people in the field. I mean, I, I learn a lot just by talking to people and their challenges and understanding what they've done and what their suggestions are. They oftentimes are the ones with the answers, but they just don't have the tools or resources to be able to do it. So the more that you talk to people, the more that you learn, the more that you understand uh, more than one perspective also, because uh, sometimes you just hear from one organization or one group about their challenge and it doesn't really reflect a broader sense of what's going on, uh, specifically in terms of the broader market. So talk to a lot of people, uh, try to get a, a broad view, uh, but also uh, clearly I, social media uh, has been a tremendous opportunity for us to be able to leverage the fact that you know, there are people out there with incredible insights. I learn a lot just by following some folks that I had never even met uh, in person, but you know, digitally I, I see a lot of things that they post and I I'm pretty impressed with what they have to share. So, yeah, I, I learn a lot through digital means as well. Um, quick uh, insight dropped in here from uh, Mehmet. Uh, you can go ahead and come off mute and say it yourself. Um, I've been actually chatting different people. Look, David, can you suggest any books that you really like that you read recently? I think uh, Logan just asked that question, but um, if you can give us some ideas, like anything that you really liked along these areas, I would love to hear your suggestions, actually. Great question. My favorite books are, are probably not, not necessarily on the New York Times bestseller list right now. Um, Good to Great. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you have read that already, but I just love that book. I feel like that embodies so many of the principles of things that I've been uh, doing throughout my career. Uh, I love the work that John Cotter has done on change management. I, I've come to realize that a lot of times technology 
is actually the least of the problems. It's getting people to change their minds and how do you uh, implement. You know, implementation of technology is probably one of the greatest barriers. Uh, I think that those two, and then there's a fun book that I, I read uh, and I really thought was a neat way to frame things. It was, uh, it's called, how, if, what if Disney ran your hospital? Uh, and I just thought that was a really fun way to take something that I love. Uh, I love the concept of Disney. I love making things fun, but just simply, you know, applying some of those business principles of customer experience, customer first, to the things that we do every day. It's a great question, Mehmet. And I think it's a great way to close. I think my big insight uh, was just really understanding when to not reinvent the wheel. Uh, and it can be hard to know what tools exist, but to do the work to understand, hey, what's been built already? What can I build on top of something else and still maintain my IP, whether it's Microsoft or whether it's something else? Know what's been built out there. and um, know when you can kind of skip ahead a little bit, right? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, wonderful to have you with us, Dr. Rue. Uh, I know you have a, a busy schedule and there's a lot of other things that you can do. So we appreciate you spending the last hour with us. Um, thanks to all the health transformers who got on the call. Uh, we're going to make sure we have resources from this session, like contact information, links to those three books that you mentioned in the uh, YouTube episode and in the blog post. So you can look forward to that. And uh, I hope you come back and see us again next week, Tuesday, September 21st, for a session with Diana Chapman, the author of The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And then a session uh, the week after that on the 28th, where we will be sharing updates from the Startup Health team and the Startup Health platform. But uh, let me just close by saying that Dr. Rue, uh, thank you for your wisdom. Uh, your candor. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. All right. Be well, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye.